Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast, presented today by Oma Devon and Ken Erty. Hi, Ken Erty. Hi, Owen, how are you? I'm good. Have you ever had the feeling, Ken, of missing out on a massive night out? Like a big party, and one of those nights that everybody else in your social circle is at, and... They you weren't invited. Said, well, you might have been invited. You weren't sure. You, in the back of your head, somebody's thing was going on. You didn't, you know, it might have been. Who knows? But then you, all you've heard about in the years since is, oh, what a great night. Yeah, I have had that a few times. Oh, oh, yeah. A few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone's going to share? You don't need to for the purposes of the... Uh, well, no, no. I mean, okay. Th- yeah, there's, there's one particular big party that usually happens before Christmas that I've sometimes had to miss. And you always miss the best ones. Yeah, it usually sounds like that. It sounds. <laughs> it, it always sounds like that. Uh, well, that's a feeling I get, Ken, when I'm watching the Sevens Rugby on TV, oh. World Series Rugby. It's, it's like we in Ireland know this thing is happening. Everyone else is having the time of their lives, and maybe we are allowed to join. It looks like a lot of fun, a lot of great rugby, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. Mm. We're just not sure, though. We just, we just hang back, just let Quade Cooper and Sonny Bill Williams and those guys get involved in we leave it to them. But it could be about to change in 2016 with the Irish women's rugby team. Uh, women's sevens team, I should say, hoping to qualify for the Olympic Games. And our guest today is chasing that dream after already hitting the top of two other sports. Louise Galvin, she's already a serial league and cup winner in the Basketball Super League. And she's one of the best gated footballers in the country with Kerry. And I think there's something a little bit exciting about the idea of taking on different sports at a high level. Oh, yeah. Um, not too many people have been able to do it at a, no. at a- at a high level. Michael Jordan tried, failed. So you not play reasonably good yeah, baseball? He, yeah, but he's... You know, I think being, you know, the best basketball player ever, player ever <laughs> and, you know, still a decent enough baseball player well, is decent enough, good. Decent enough minor league. He never played, I don't think, for the, for the uh, major league team. So he played for their farm league team, whatever they call it in America. Dennis Compton, of course. Uh, cricketer? Uh, cricketer and Arsenal uh, footballer. Oh. Arsenal FA Cup and league winner. Yep. Uh, probably war hero. I don't know. He was from around that time. I mean, there is that's a different it, type of yeah. That's a different type of sporting duality. Your yeah. Bert Troutman type w- w- war hero slash. Yeah. Oh, was he seen war as a war hero? 
Might he not was, have been he, by, was, uh, he was a he was a prisoner of war. Yes, he was might not have been seen <laughs> as too heroic at the time he was captured by the British forces. No. They mightn't I don't know if they yeah, that's But it. over time, you know, boundaries were broken down, respect was established, and he ended up becoming a you know national hero. Yeah. All right, well if you've been moping around the place waiting for your loved ones to buy you a copy of the second Captain Sports Annual Volume One. I think it's just time to accept that those people don't love you. Okay, it's as simple as that. They just—you're not a loved one to them, but that's okay, friend, because we do. You love—you love these people, Ken, don't you? I do. That's why, for one week only, we're giving you the chance to buy the book online with zero delivery charge to anywhere in the world. Anywhere you can get out to secondcaps.com right now and get yourself sorted. Don't, not don't. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, sounds good. I'll get on that tomorrow or be right before this offer ends. No, this is free shipping throughout Ireland and worldwide. So get on there right now while listening to this podcast. You actually sound genuinely annoyed. Yeah, I've listening to a lot the of... idea that some people might not, like literally now as I'm speaking, <clears throat> be be doing that. I'm listening to a lot of Mark Maron recently, Ken. I see how he sells things. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. He does give Sydney, what out. the? You know, I mean, I'm going out there and there's only 15 seats sold. Yeah. How can you do this to me? I'm never going again unless you, unless we sell this thing out. Right. So I'm just yeah, I'm getting a bit more aggressive. I'm glad you noticed. Think it's working? Has uh, anyone done it? I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. We'll <laughs> check the Shopify. There. A couple of weeks back, Peyton Manning dragged his weary 39 year old body into Super Bowl 50, and he shuffled away with a bad back and a second championship win of his career. Now you might have expected. We talked about this with you, USM at the time. The uh, you might have expected the build up to be dominated by the recent Al Jazeera allegations that he had a whole bunch of human growth hormone shipped to his house a few years back. But a PR drive led by George W. Bush's old press secretary, Ari Fleischer, this emerged after the event, mm. had gotten this sort of heavy-duty press guy involved to mm, just keep that image squeaky clean. Well, combined with a widespread mistrust of Al Jazeera as a legitimate news source in the US. Barry, an old adversary of Ari Fleischer, of course. Uh, the man whose job it was to justify the invasion of Iraq. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the Peyton Manning thing isn't even one of the biggest jobs he's he's had to do. That pretty much scuppered any serious examination of that story, right? So that was the HGH. But since he walked away with that Super Bowl ring, a much bigger scandal has blown up around Manning. And we're going to get into that very shortly with US Murph. Right after we reopen a full-on audio-creating feud. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mama. Click, 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 click. The scumbag in question is Evan Flynn, who has become embroiled in a tit-for-tat exchange with our esteemed producer, Mark Horgan. Evan mm. emails us. This is the latest email, right? Mm. Listen, all the relevant information should be in here to explain the feud. Listen to last Thursday's show. I was at first delighted to hear my audio piece, Personal Jose, on air. You know that I have a big self-esteem and a big... Uh... Jose. Kind of trashy. Give the people what they want. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of Ken in that, by the way, and very little me or Murph. But listen, we, we'll move on. It was, it was nicely done. Mm-hmm. Back to the email. My goal achieved. Second Captain's merch was clearly in my future. This delight turned to shock, sadness, and finally outrage when I heard your response. Hang on a second, Evan. Don't drag, don't drag us all into this, okay? You're talking about Mark's response via strongly worded email and hyper-aggressive audio bed. What, you, what are you saying? <laughs> you just a phony, man. This is just for ass. <laughs> I admit, I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belt is just a little big. My hand is 
it's a little big. This is just an act that you don't. You should be an actor. But brother, I am mad and they know I'm bad. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of the Wolf Owl and Deontay Wilder in there. Mark has informed me that Deontay is actually featuring heavily in his dreams in the last couple of nights. Right, okay. So, such as, I just want to, I want to, I want to share that story that was told to me in private just to outline the level of focus that these people pour into these audio creations, Ken. Yeah. As we just well, blather it's a, away into microphones. It's an obsession, really. Yeah, it really it? is. Yeah. Anyway, they're, kind, they're like, uh, they remind me a bit of, of Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. You know, it's just, um, we just hear sounds, whatever normal kind of sounds, and with them, it's like, how would this fit together? You know, it's, you can imagine it would be hell to, to inhabit a mind like that. Okay, so here we are. Evan has given his initial, thrown in his initial personal Jose. Mark has responded with, uh, basically, on a war footing, you know, aggressively, seeing that the king is being shot at here. So, back to Evan's email. In putting my piece together, I'd hope for nothing more than the mutual respect of another titan in the field. Perhaps the healthy atmosphere of... Another titan, I like that. <laughs> collegial competition. Or as I said before, free merch. It wasn't an attack, but much like an aging monarch feeling his power wane, you do see threats everywhere. I guess. Yeah, he's like he's like Tony Soprano at that time. You know, he beats up like that sort of... Uh, Tony Soprano is, has had some kind of operation or he's, he's been under the weather. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes back and he kind of senses a little bit of disrespect from the crew. Uh, and so he just kind of makes an example of the most junior man. That's what Mark did. Is what yeah. Mark has been doing yeah, that. Just yeah, just a brutal, uh, a brutal, unprovoked beating uh, in the name of, uh, you know, keeping alive his, his, uh, his f- fading authority. Well, unlike Tony Soprano's underling, Ken, Evan Flynn has a, has a bit of spark about him. So he says, your response has left me no option but to come at the king for real. Hashtag dork, says him. Evan got both barrels. Both barrels. Are you being serious? I'll be plenty of ammunition for that. <laughs> Audio bed wars. It's time to go out and show them who the new king in town is. The <laughs> big question is, will Mark Horgan survive the heartache? <laughs> My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I'm the boss. I'm the I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the Don't you open your mouth about the best. Just another misstep by a, an absolute rookie. I'll beat your brains out. Absolutely lethal. This gets a little bit nasty. What's the reaction going to be? What's up for grabs now? You can't even call the shit a war. You boy took a hell of a beating. What are you going to play now? Wow. Well, Evan, I mean, I'm I'm nerdy speeches. I don't know if you have slept since the uh, previous bed you put together. Oh, yeah. You really put it up to Mark, who has responded thus. Oh, no, there's there's more. Yeah, Mark's come back. He's not going to leave Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dear Evan Flynn, the king here, says Mark, similar to Mr. Miyagi's somewhat antagonistic approach to Daniel Sun's training regime, Relentless painting of the fence, pointless waxing both on and off, etc. My aggressive response on last week's show was merely to encourage you to be the best editor you can be. Evan Flynn, that time has arrived. The wolf hells of varying echo levels. Yeah, that the, was good. Yeah. That was good. The light sprinkling of Steve Staunton quotes. The fake vinyl scratch sound effects. The pitch <laughs> changes. The mastering. I don't understand these words again. The convolution reverb. Your, <laughs> your latest work brought a smile to the face of this old editing sensei. I have no selection of vintage cars for you to choose from, but as a reward for being the greatest do- I mean, editor to have ever challenged my reign, we will send you a super slick second captain's limited edition Euro 88 t-shirt. Wow. I wish you the best in your future endeavours. 
in that in that dojo we call Adobe Sound Booth. Oh no! <laughs> and I'll leave you with this from the greatest coach that ever lived. No need fight anymore. You prove a point. Sincerely, Mark. Oh, no God. need fight anymore. You prove a point. There is a PS here. You can still send your audio edits, says Mark, to secondcaptains at irishtimes.com and we will play them if they're any good. Plus, if, you're, so if anyone can beat, the, I, mean, I don't know if anyone's beating um, our friend Evan. I don't think so. Plus, if you are the scumbag read out on the show from now on, we are going to reward you with a second captain's t-shirt because the quality's been too good recently. A lot of great emails in not to give you something back. So, um, yes, well done, Evan. Hopefully you'll spark something off Yeah, there. fair play, Evan. It was good. Oh, it's US Murph time. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. We're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Touchdown. Brian Murphy, we haven't spoken to you since the Super Bowl, which you attended. How was it? How about that? It's been a couple of weeks where yeah. the build-up for my big Super Bowl review comes live here on uh, Second Captains. Well, well, I got to ask you a question first. Can I turn the tables on you? Yep. How did it look on TV? Oh, uh, well, awful in terms of a game. Um, oh, the, I know, but I mean... The, oh, the, the spectacle looked pretty good, yeah. I mean, Tom Brady getting okay. booed beforehand by all the Denver Broncos okay. fans, all that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, good. Well, you know, you know, it's like, you know, in the end, we're all... All politics is local, right? That's the old phrase. Well, uh, you know, everything in life comes down to uh, your home turf and, and, your, and your people and your family, and that's what the Bay Area was felt like it was sort of on display. Now, the Bay Area doesn't lack for self-importance. You know that. I mean, San Francisco likes to think of itself as one of the great cities in the world. Even if people tell you it's not, we say, oh, yeah, we are. We're like super, pr- super proud. Some might say too proud of our very own city. So when the Bay Area goes on the national stage, we're confident that it will televise well. But Levi Stadium is a whole new deal. That's new to the Bay Area. It was only built in just two years ago. So, you know, while we're confident in the Golden Gate Bridge and in the fog coming in off the bay and all the things that make San Francisco so beautiful, the idea of us putting Santa Clara on display, trying to come up with the analogy for, um, you know, for you guys who are be proud of Dublin, think about if they built, you know, Croke Park 45 miles south Mm. of Dublin. Where are we now? Are we into Wicklow at yeah, that you're, point? Yeah, yeah, deep we, into Wicklow? yeah. Beautiful county, the Garden County, Brian. <laughs> we can show Wicklow <laughs> off. Like, it's all right. Just like Santa Clara County is a beautiful county. So there was some trepidation as to how Levi's Stadium would look, and it is a, um, it's an interesting looking stadium. They kind of made it postmodern on the outside. It's all these exposed beams. It's not like a concrete bowl or anything. And I was on the media bus on the way down. And for starters, just, you know, I know nobody cares about the media's predilections, but the media bus and everything, we had no traffic, all, you know, all traffic, Carmageddon, all that stuff. We sailed down there. I left downtown San Francisco on the media shuttle at 1123, and I set foot at Levi's Stadium at 1223 p.m., which is great. An hour from downtown San Francisco to Levi's is about as good as you can ask 
it's like 43 miles plus, you know, street, um, city traffic and all that to get out of San Francisco. And then once you navigate the exits around Levi's call it about 60 minutes, that's a win 60 minute drive from San Francisco, but that's kind of a bummer. I mean, we all wanted it to be in San Francisco where candlestick park was and where, where almost all the activities were all week. You know, all those free concerts with Alicia Keys and One Republic and Dave Matthews Band and all those Red Hot Chili Peppers, they all played in San Francisco. And so it was like the NFL was almost sort of like hiding the fact that the game was in Santa Clara, 45 miles south. All the events were in San Francisco. NFL uh, experience where you pay 20, 30 bucks to get in and, and, you know, the kids can like get their pictures taken all with all the helmets of the NFL, meet some, you know, sort of C-list NFL alum who's signing autographs and all that. Then we had something called Super Bowl City down on the Embarcadero. You guys remember the ferry building and the waterway down there? We had a whole free area down there where they had the concerts. So we felt like San Francisco shined during the whole week. And then once the game came, uh, Levi Stadium was on display. And like I said, the two guys on the bus behind me, they were from um, the East Coast. And when we pulled up, the guy said, that's the stadium? Looks like they didn't finish it. They go, man, it looks really rinky-dink. And I said, wow, those guys are pretty harsh. But once we got off and got through extensive security, that was the other theme, Owen, of the Super Bowl, was heavily armed, heavily armed SWAT teams and Homeland Security all over the Bay Area with big-time assault rifles around their necks Kind of terrifying, and yet at the same time, a sobering reminder of the world we live in now. Super Bowl 50, you figure, was a prime candidate for a terrorist attack. Man, the security was heavy. That was definitely one of my firm memories of this whole thing. But once we got in, we had this incredible warm spell. It was like 74 degrees at kickoff. I think somebody says the warmest kickoff in 40 years or something like that. And the sun was great, and, and, and the grass... You know, there's a little bit of problem with the grass at Levi's Stadium. But other than the game, which was a stinker, I think Levi's showed well. San Francisco showed well. I had a good time. Hey, my ticket was paid for. So all good on my end, except for the game. More to the point, Doug and Lisa's Super Bowl party went off without a hitch in your absence. I hope people followed my beautiful and talented wife, Candice, at Igloo Keeper. That's at Igloo Keeper on Twitter. And she was my representative at the Doug and Lisa Super Bowl party. And she carried the banner proudly, Owen. And in fact, I would encourage people to go back to her Twitter feed. She had eight, nine, ten very comical tweets. She's the funny one in the family. She's the better writer in the family. She had very funny tweets from hashtag Doug and Lisa's party. So if you guys want to retroactively live Doug and Lisa's party through like about a 10 tweet barrage, <laughs> including some photos, Follow at Igloo Keeper, uh, named after her Alaskan roots, I-G-L-O-O. Of course, she's a little old Eskimo from back in the day. And, uh, and so she, she said it was a wild success. I'll give you just a couple of highlights. A, they ran out of guacamole before kickoff. Okay? Yeah. That was a big problem because apparently the fifth grade kids, like who were at 11, 12 years old, they ate the entire thing. Uh, yeah. So Lisa had, to, Lisa had to whip up another batch. That's the kind of girl Lisa is. Though. She made extra guacamole. Then Lady Gaga's national anthem was so well received uh, at Igloo Keeper reported that uh, a woman on the couch next to her shed tears mm -hmm. during Lady Gaga's Star Spangled Banner. 
But as the great Vince Vaughn said in Swingers, Owen, she might have had her own things going on. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, so uh, extra guacamole and tear stricken Lady Gaga anthems. Hashtag Doug and Lisa success. Yeah, we'll look up at Igloo Keeper, Brian, after after this chat. I'm sure listeners will as well. But we got to move on to Peyton Manning. Now, we discussed ahead of the Super Bowl the human growth hormone story put out by Al Jazeera that was denied by Manning and pretty much, if not ignored, rubbished maybe is the best way of describing it by most of the media, it seemed, in the US. Seems like nothing sticks to this guy. He's got such a squeaky clean image. Since then, far more serious allegations have been made. And this concerning a story that goes way back. Maybe you can explain the broad outline, first of all, of, of what's alleged to have happened. Kind of nutty for Peyton Manning. First of all, he won the Super Bowl with one of the worst performances by a winning Super Bowl quarterback ever. In fact, you could make an argument that it was the worst performance by a Super Bowl winning quarterback ever, which is kind of crazy because he really is obviously one of the greats of all time. And yet his final Super Bowl maybe still hasn't announced his retirement. His final Super Bowl was a total, total dud as far as his performance. He clearly, the gas tank was just so on empty. But he has that to deal with. He wins the Super Bowl, has an odd post-game moment with Jim Nance on the CBS podium saying he's going to go drink a lot of Budweiser. He gives Budweiser a free plug, which was shocking. NFL players aren't supposed to because of the intense corporate buy-ins from all these different sponsors. Now, it just so happens that Bud Light was a sponsor, I think, of the Super Bowl. But people were wondering why Peyton Manning said that. Did that mean he was going to retire? Because if you're a retired player, you can talk about corporate tie-ins. I don't know. So that was odd. His performance was odd. The HGH weirdness that never got traction. It just, and we talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago. It just never got traction for whatever reason. The, 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 the Peyton Manning image machine beat it into the ground. And then three days, or I should say, uh, a week after the Super Bowl ends, a writer named Sean King from the New York Daily News writes an explosive column that revives a story that happened 20 years ago, and that was where Peyton Manning, as a student at the University of Tennessee, where he, of course, played his college football and was very successful enough to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, he allegedly, or not allegedly, seemingly admittedly, uh, had, pull, had pulled a sexual prank on a female trainer. We don't need to get into the details of it. You can use your imagination that when he's being examined by a trainer, he used uh, the opportunity to to sort of prank her with his, uh, you know, whatever. Again, I don't want to get into the details of it. It was written off by many Peyton defenders well, I'll, I'll tell the, you what, Brian, time. Yeah, I think I might, I might yeah. go into a bit of detail here just so that people can be okay. what we're talking about. Okay, you take about. it, Owen. Yeah, well, 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 just the detail of, of that, actually. Cause there's a lot more to it than what did or didn't happen at that point, but that's obviously the center of it. So the this trainer who was uh, really well-respected in the college, etc., was, was, was supposedly checking him out. This is according to, as you say, the... A document put out, the document that was obtained by the New York Daily News journalist. And uh, that was, so where are we here? Yeah, okay, so February 96, Knockwright, uh, the girl, the lady's name in question is Dr. Jamie Knockwright. She was in the training room examining what she thought might be a possible stress fracture, stress fracture in Manning's foot. At six foot five inches, his feet dangled off the edge of the table. Manning allegedly then proceeded to scoot down the training table while Knockwright examined his foot. At that point, she said, he forcefully maneuvered his naked testicles and rectum directly on her face with his penis on top of her head. Shocked, disgusted and offended, Knockwright pushed Manning away, removing her head out from under him. 
Now, my understanding is that Manning's version of that event is that he was just mooning a teammate in in, in his in his explanation of it, and whether contact was made with this female um, doctor or not, that wasn't the intention at all. It was a it was a much more minor, as you say, sexual prank that he was trying to pull off. So glad you handled the particulars of that, Owen. Mm. So glad. I don't really want to talk about those parts of Peyton Manning's career. But yes, now, maybe the most important thing about this is that it was known that this isn't new. This is a 20-year-old story that, at the time, was viewed for what it was. Now, who knew what Peyton Manning was going to become? We knew he was the son of Archie Manning, famous uh, quarterback for Ole Miss and, you know, one of the great uh, Ole Miss quarterbacks of all time, Mississippi. We knew that he was a bonus baby, that he was destined to be a number one pick, but we didn't know if he was going to be a, you know, a future Hall of Famer, et cetera. He was a college kid at the time, and obviously, you know what? Time passed. And that's what happened. We've talked about this with the HGH and everything. Time passes and you move on to the next scandal. And by the time Peyton Manning hit the pros, that was a two-year-old scandal because he came out in 98. That happened in 96. So the Tennessee media and the American sporting media had sort of talked about it in 1996. And, you know, and then we found out that he settled for $300,000 with the trainer. Well, the interesting thing is that this writer, Sean King, chose to choose the afterglow of the Super Bowl to revisit it. And this is where we get into like the the sticky talking points of it because there is a section of the population that never even knew it happened. It was never a part of his bio forever. He became the pitch man. He became the SNL, uh, one of the most the most successful Saturday Night Live athlete host they've ever had. He became a funny guy. Nationwide commercials. Super Bowl championship as a Colt, record after record after record as a quarterback. So it was forgotten. So there was a segment of the population that read this piece by Sean King. And Sean King wrote it as a column, as a personal column, and how outraged he was that this stuff doesn't get talked about. So you you fell into certain groups when you read it. A, I'd never heard of this. Oh, my God, Peyton Manning isn't as clean as I thought he was. Or B, and this is where Sean King's getting a lot of pushback, is dude. This is old news. It was settled. You had to know this about Peyton Manning for the last 20 years. Why are you bringing this up now? His answer was, I'm bringing this up because Cam Newton was pilloried for his pouty reaction to the Super Bowl loss. And Peyton Manning's the kind of guy who can skate 20 years without ever being called out for being a sexual assaulter of a trainer. And he saw it as a race issue. Now we've entered like, so we've already talked about Peyton and his image. We've already talked about like, you know, what corporate pitchman he's become and how that how that brushes or how that camouflages anything bad in his past now we're rolling the race discussion into this thing and it gets that much more explosive when you talk about race because now you're forming camps again you're either going to say yes you're right black athletes are treated differently than white athletes or you're going to be upset about that say no are you kidding me Cam Newton stole a laptop from Florida. Uh, when he was in Florida, he got kicked out of Florida for stealing a laptop. People don't talk about that. They've forgotten about that. Uh, Cam Newton was right to be criticized for his pouty reaction to the loss. And Peyton Manning's sexual assault? Well, geez, that was 20 years ago, and he's done nothing since, except maybe use HGH to get back on the field. So you can imagine the mess, all sorts of different reactions, all sorts of gray area in this whole deal. And it was written by this guy, Sean King, who has now become a target of many journalists who are saying, dude, you're trying to be explosive. You're trying to stir something up. And other people saying, oh, my God, Peyton Manning is a fraud. 
So you can imagine the mess that uh, that we're stuck with here. Yeah, but I, I always laugh at these th- this idea that just because something happened a long time ago, it can't be revisited and can't be talked about. I mean, the fact that the journalist himself had never heard of this incident in the first place shows, I think what you said, Brian, that not many people talked about this, certainly not back in 1996 and even in 2002, because uh, whatever about the varying accounts of what actually happened at the time, she left the college, apparently was asked to leave the college. She did so, got another job, was doing really well in the University of Florida. Then Manning decides, along with his dad and brother, to bring a book out in which they mm-hmm. ad- address address this issue in such a way that she actually takes a legal case against them. So it seems like there's so much here in terms of how a... And ultimately she loses her job in the University of Florida arising out of that. Now this is all based on uh, essentially her side of things, I guess you would describe it as this is the document that the journalist has access to. It's from the plaintiff side of the libel case that she uh, that was outlined in 2002. But she, you've got a, a woman who loses her job essentially and has to fight legally to restore her reputation against a man who's backed by the usual US sports uh, framework, I guess, to go on and, and be a squeaky clean superstar. Well said. Everything you said there is right on the money, particularly the point, and that was the other chapter we didn't bring up, which is that he, Peyton Manning's ill-fated decision to break the confidentiality agreement he signed when he gave her $300,000, she was sworn to silence, he was too, to write a book with a guy named John Underwood, a writer, about his career and choose to address this. It was almost like he was piling on or, or trying to re-win the argument about something that most people had forgotten or moved on from. And he said that she was a vul- she was a vulgar mouth trainer who he didn't like very much. So he took a shot at her almost, I don't know if you want to say he was implying that she was deserved it or asking for it. I guess he didn't say that particularly, but I don't know why. But you, you look at Archie and Peyton Manning, who was apparently interviewed for this also, and you wonder, my God, what are they doing even bringing this up again? So without question, I think at the least, what you can take out of this is that, A, it happened. Don't forget it and when you when you consider the arc of a man's career. B, as squeaky clean as Peyton Manning is, whether it's the HGH thing or whether it's this lawsuit being settled or whether it's him breaking the confidentiality agreement or whether it's him and Archie controlling their image, he's definitely not the saint that a lot of people think he is. He's just not. And, you know, breaking news, you know, big time money athlete guy is somewhat image conscious. Yeah, of course he is. So, you know, again, don't be fooled, right? We always say, don't, we don't know these people. We don't know them. And we try to pretend we do because he's funny on Saturday Night Live and he eats Papa John's pizza. That's a whole nother thing. The whole Papa John thing. Very weird with Papa John kissing him on the cheek right after the Super Bowl. This is a guy, I'm, by the way, I've never eaten one bite of Papa John's pizza, mostly because I'm spooked by the guy, Papa John. I don't even know if they have him over in Europe. It's an American franchise. You know, I'm certain the pizza's got to be mediocre at best because it's just fast food pizza. But this very creepy Papa John figure who has dyed black hair and has, has been known to be just kind of a weird dude. He he and Peyton are in bed together, man. They have all these franchises together. And he was one of the first guys to kiss Peyton Manning on the cheek after he won the Super Bowl. It's like, man, this Papa John thing. So, you know, Peyton carefully cultivates and grooms this image. I've heard people defend him, say, can you just take his 20-year career, understand that he did a moronic thing in college, and just accept him for who he is? And there's other people saying his whole thing is built on a myth and lies, and Archie and he have controlled it. 
Because other people say Archie Manning, who's the ultimate Southern gentleman. You may have even had him on your show before. He's such an easy guy to talk to in that honey-dripped Mississippi accent. But he might be the guy who's being viewed as a stage dad in this whole thing, that he made sure that Peyton and Eli have these Super Bowl rings and they have these carefully cultivated images. So the Mannings, ah, I don't know what to make of them. Well, listen, I mean, Archie Manning, according to these documents, uh, the ghostwriter of that book, John Underwood, says that Manning told him that Peyton, that uh, you mentioned this vulgarity, that supposedly she was being, that she was a vulgar woman. You know, she was uh, F here, you know, not acting professionally in that way. And there was also, there were also insinuations that she was sleeping with black athletes. I I have no idea why it makes any difference whether it's a black or a white athlete. But anyway, that she was going around sleeping with guys, none of which apparently stacked up. And so these are incredibly serious allegations being made uh, by these guys, which which don't seem to have been backed up, they you know people can say a case is settled and there was there was a settlement of the libel case, but ultimately that that's all out there and doesn't seem to have been fully explained by the Manning side of things. I mean, have they done anything to come out and and and, and try to discredit this story now, or have they responded in any way? No, they're doing the smart thing, which is keep their mouth shut and waiting for the next controversy to come along. We've talked about this through the years, whether it's Lance Armstrong or Barry Bonds or any of these things that come up, you know, there's always something else that comes along. Now working against Peyton and Archie in this week is that this is easily the slowest sports week. There's like two slow sports week in the year. It's post uh, Super Bowl NBA all-star game and before March madness and basketball and, and baseball spring training starts. And also like during the summer when there's the baseball takes the week off for the all-star game, those are incredibly slow sports weeks and there's really nothing going on. So this thing is getting some traction and some conversation, but oh, and you'd be surprised relatively speaking, how little traction it's getting very similar to the HGH story that just doesn't seem to stick. Like we don't have the smoking gun on HGH. We don't have the, the signed document from, the Manning wife for the HGH uh, delivery or any of that stuff. And we don't have, you know, Peyton coming out and saying, uh, you know, this happened and that happened with the trainer. He's just letting the 1996 facts and his 2001 book stand on its own. And Sean King of the New York Daily News is saying, hey, everybody, revisit this and relook at it. Yeah, and he's also given a lot lot more information. I mean, Sean King says that USA Today had this 74-page document, explosive court documents, as he describes himself, back 13 years ago, but didn't... Well, they did report on There were a couple of pieces about what was going on, but the, the document as a whole wasn't released, and he's released that now, and that that has... It's one of those stories. I remember reading about Floyd Mayweather and his history of domestic abuse, and I was vaguely aware that he had committed the... Well, I knew he had been to jail, so that there was something up there, but I'd never fully seen it until I... In sort of chronological order, until I'd seen it in a Deadspin article, and that made me think a very different way about that story, which brings us back to the idea that there actually is value in revisiting these things if journalists feel they haven't been covered adequately before and if they do actually have some new points to bring to the conversation. True story. And, and, and this gets into, you know, kind of your philosophy on life and like, do you forgive people? Do you, do you evaluate? How do you evaluate a man's life? Do you evaluate it on, you know, his lowest moment? Do you evaluate it on his highest moment? Do you combine the two do you factor in a career and balance out charity work with sexual assault do you factor in the corporate pitchman who wants to shine his image always making sure that he has the media on his side 
all of these things go into the evaluation of Peyton Manning. You know, this goes, uh, I mean, people talk about uh, today's Jim Brown's 80th birthday. He's, you know, some would say the greatest football player who ever lived. Others would say Jerry Rice. You could argue it for the rest of, for the rest of time. But J- Jim Brown has a checkered, brutally checkered past of domestic violence. The kind of stuff that if it happened today, oh my God. I mean, you heard Ray Rice in, in the elevator last year with the punch of his girlfriend, who, by the way, now I believe is his wife. Uh, and that was just holy. I mean, we talked about that for months on end. And so what? Jim Brown happened to live in a time when the media looked the other way and it didn't happen. And now people say, oh, happy birthday, Jim Brown, the greatest football player who ever lived. So it raises the question of legacy and how you view legacy and how you view people's work. Hell, this goes back to Lance Armstrong. You mean you guys were all over this? And by the way, I saw the great Paul Kimmage at Pebble Beach. How about that? Oh wow! The uh, the great yeah the great Irish journalist was there uh, covering Harrington and then Rory, of course, at Riviera this week down in L.A. So it was fun to see him. But um, Lance Armstrong, even when all when it all went down, when David Walsh and Paul Kimmage finally just brought the house of cards down, and Lance admitted everything on Oprah Winfrey, you still had people saying yes, but he did this for my family and cancer. He did this for my son or daughter who had cancer. He inspired my mom or dad who had cancer. And so there are people who still view Lance Armstrong's net positive on the world, net net uh, result on the world as a positive because of Livestrong. So it's a very complex thing, how you view a man's legacy. And it comes down to your own personal value judgment. Brian, brilliant stuff as always. Listen, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoyed it, Owen. Take care. That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Death man can never die. He's 34 years old. That's one of those things. Death man can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a tandem, Abel. All right, the argument that a lot of the US members talked about there that a lot of people seem to subscribe to on this thing really bugs me. This, this is all old news. Who cares, Ken? Is what they say. Mm. A couple of points on that. Firstly, there's a fairly substantial difference between the basic facts of a story being reported at some stage years ago and a story being actually covered and analysed in depth in a way that helps people understand what happened mm. and the significance of it. So, like, you know, going by the logic that, oh, it's old news, there was no need for making making a murder. Yeah. Just leave it there. Stephen Avery, people know what happened. I was about to, there was a, a serious spoiler alert almost happened there. Mm-hmm. The, that case was already public record. So what's the point in actually revisiting anything? Secondly, uh, it's not just an old story because the journalist got a hold of this 74-page document. It outlines Knockwright's case during the defamation hearing from her side, from the plaintiff's side of things. And there's tons of information in there that's really quite shocking. The type of stuff that you read and can't not have a reaction to. Mm. In her remaining, here's one, in her remaining time at the university, Knockwright testified that Manning in her presence on two separate occasions deliberately reenacted the sexual assault on other student athletes to terrorise her. On another occasion, he allegedly called her a bitch in front of other athletes after snatching a marker used to label drug test specimens. <laughs> it's kind of interesting from her hand and throwing it across the room. Mm. So I'm only laughing at the uh, the drug the drug related issues that we've talked about previously with Manning. But you know, I, I don't know how many sports fans, even in America, would have been aware of that sort of detail in this story. Before. No, I, I don't think so. And 
Yeah, I mean, I was reminded of Lance Armstrong reading the. So was I reading reading the story, and I was like, "Oh right, okay, this is what you've done." And it, well, it's not just the kind of burying of it, um, you know, that he managed to sort of he managed to kind of get away with it at the time, mm-hmm. but then the sort of subsequent um, bullying, kind of persecution of yeah. of the woman. You know, I, I I don't really see a problem with that being uh, discussed. You know, I mean, I'm you know sorry. Peyton Manning, if you can't necessarily have everything your own way, you know, but uh, if this if this unpleasant story about you resurfaces as a moment of triumph, that's just kind of too bad for you. You know, um, it may be that uh, you never really atoned for for this uh, at the time. Yep. The Irish Times Set Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I wanted to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to you oh, now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them, won't we? What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> well, I wonder how we talked a little bit about Wayne Rooney, uh, who is injured and possibly being eyed up for sale by uh, Farmer Woodward, you know, and they send uh, Boxer off to the knacker's yard. Um, Maybe uh, he's he's eyeing that Chinese market uh, as possibly a place to offload Wayne. Well, you know, so the stories were today. I mean, um, we discussed that story and how likely that it actually is to happen. Uh, And also um, his old buddy, Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, not really, buddy. It's not like they were close friends. No. But that doesn't matter. What matters is what happens on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that, among other things what we talked about. Well, Christian Ronaldo didn't, didn't seem to have a whole load of close friends at Manchester United if his recent comments are anything to go by. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of chat about that and uh, and what might have gone down there in the football podcast. All going well. A good chunk of your Rio 2016 viewing will be devoted to the Irish women's sevens rugby team if they achieve qualification. You'd probably be familiar with some of the names some of the players through their Grand Slam winning exploits in the 15-a-side game, likes of Alison Miller, Jenny Murphy, who we've spoken to before on a podcast. There's another group, though, who've excelled at other sports and are now going after the Olympics. One of that group is Louise Galvin, who joins us from Sao Paulo, where the Irish team is preparing for the second leg of the Women's World Series after playing the first leg in Dubai in November. I know more recently, Louise, you were taking on the best in the world, Australia, just last week. Now, this is an Olympic sport now. There are huge crowds. We've alluded to this earlier on, about this being a, a sort of a party that we might have been invited to a little bit late. It's great to watch. It does seem to have taken Ireland quite a while to catch on, but this sport's a phenomenon, really. Yeah, I was just going to say phenomenal is the word that I would use for it as well. Um, they're just, they're kind of like music festivals, but for sports fans. So yeah. you would have a lot of people there for, I suppose, the carnival atmosphere and the, the just the, the general excitement around the area. Like, they really build up outside the stadiums. They'd have multiple kind of games and um, video cams and things for all ages really to keep them entertained and then the crowd come in and, and they come and go with their seats and their seats like it's not really assigned seating um, and they tend to kind of more applaud good play rather than actually you know supporting one specific team it just tends to be a big crowd there uh, so they can be really really good atmosphere um, now for the, the final at Sydney Sevens um, which we were, we were looking up to um, be able to witness it was Australia against New Zealand in Sydney and they had previously played um, in the, the group stages the day before and it ended in a draw so that was actually a really tight tense affair 
and New Zealand just came out on top but it was just a fantastic game and it's just a, like I think that it's a sport that's really growing in more the, the the rugby countries that are not as strong traditionally because they, they find it easier to pick it up um, so yeah it's definitely a kind of a phenomenon around the world and especially with it being um, being debuted in Rio this year in the Olympics well that's it yeah I think that's maybe what has gotten the IRFU interested and got them to pump some money into your into your setup uh, and you know, I mentioned that there are players who've come from the 15-a-side game who've won Grand Slams there and other players who have achieved in other sports. I mean, you're, we, we've been talking earlier on about players who managed to hit the heights in one sport, sometimes two. This is your third sport, really. I mean, basketball, Gaelic football, before you you even tried your hand at rugby. Um, well, yeah, I suppose I was playing football and basketball, combining the two. And they, were, they tend to be kind of a winter and, and summer sport, so uh, they complemented each other in that way. Um, I actually lost a bet and ended up going to Christine's um, rugby session in both in Anacotti and Limerick and thoroughly enjoyed it. So I came back for a bit more punishment and managed to get a game or two in um, in kind of late 2013. Um, I kind of found then it was just too hard to balance three sports, so I put it to the side. And then I suppose one thing, to be honest with you, that maybe freed up my time a little bit towards rugby was that there was no international teams in basketball to aim for and I've been part of a very successful team with the US Huskies and we'd won numerous cups and leagues but that was kind of a ceiling at that stage so I decided to step out of the comfort zone and um, maybe set basketball aside initially and give rugby a go and try and combine football and rugby for a while. I'm right in saying that you've taken a career break that, this, that what you're doing now is very much your sole focus? Yeah, I was working as physio in um, the regional hospital in Limerick and I was very um, grateful to receive a career break from them to go and give this a go. Um, so pretty much we train from roughly lunchtime every day, um, Monday to Friday. Uh, we do four pitch sessions a week. Uh, we have a kind of a rest or a down day on Wednesdays. And yeah, just do a bit of part-time work up in Dublin and this is my sole focus and I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to say that and loving it. It's yeah. just fantastic. But, yeah, because that's what, went, sorry to cut across, but it just strikes me that, that that's exactly what sports people, ideally if they can, want to get a taste of that at some stage. I mean, I know you were playing basketball and getting football at such a high level. It must have felt like being a full-time athlete anyway, but you're, you're sort of living the, living the life now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I suppose... It's comparing to my previous life where you're working a 37-hour week and then you're trying to get your gym program in maybe in the morning before work and then do team training or conditioning or skills or something like that in the evening and driving up and down to Kerry or wherever you are for training. And that was no bother because that was life and I love that as well. But now um, you come in and there's so much more free time for things like your your prehab and your rehab and making sure your, your body is right and um, rest and recovery is so important as well these days and we put a lot of emphasis on that um, with our program. And a lot of time to get those things right, you need more hours in the day um, so it's great to have that opportunity now because I'm not rushing around and trying to get to work and trying to refuel and, uh, you know, prepare the correct foods and that. So you just have a bit more time um, to allow it to be your main focus and to, to really deliver on that. Yeah, that does seem to be the challenge. I mean, I remember when this was, we, we would have spoken to Matt Williams quite a bit on the show a couple of years back and he could never understand why the IRFU wasn't getting more heavily involved in Sevens rugby. Uh, you're in there now and, and you're doing your best, but does it feel like it's 
trying to do quite a lot in quite a short space of time to qualify. You've got one, one last shot of qualifying for the Olympics in Dublin in June. Yeah, I suppose, look, we're a bit behind um, other countries from that point of view. And for some of the players that are kind of playing a lot of minutes now these days, like Lucy Mahal is our captain, um, who would have come from Gaelic football. She only played in her first official World Series tournament in in, in December as well. And I think out of probably the starting seven that started in Dubai, about four or five of us, it was their first cap. So you are training incredibly hard and we have fantastic um these facilities and our coaches are brilliant as well but at the same time like you have to make mistakes at these levels to, to learn to a certain extent so we are kind of catching up and trying to learn as quickly as possible so that that real dream becomes a reality but fingers crossed that we're going the right way around it yeah great well we wish you well and wish you well throughout what could be a very big year listen Louise Gavin thanks a million thanks very much Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, Alan. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. We probably should outline what exactly the team needs to do to qualify for the Olympics, Simon. It's fairly straightforward at this stage. Yeah, so there's a repechage in Dublin in UCD in June, and they have to win it. So only the winner of that goes through. And it looks like Russia or Spain are the two main rivals, and Russia will be a bit ahead of Ireland in rankings at the moment. Okay, so the rest of the places are decided, and it's, it's down to, yeah, it'll be down to just one of those three, most likely. Yeah, and I mean, the RFU originally set this up with Rio in mind, uh, not necessarily making it, but maybe for the 2020 Olympics. Yeah. Uh, the World Series, I think, is lower down in terms of importance. Since Monday's podcast, <laughs> we were, uh, there was no citing information at that point. To, we were waiting maybe for something to happen with one of the French players as were a lot of the journalists that uh, would be following these things Neil Francis wrote a good piece this weekend um, Annie McGeady's been talking about yep. it we were everyone waiting breathlessly for just a little bit of news at some stage maybe on Monday nothing happens and essentially we lose Dave Carr our players get injured in rugby fine but we lose at least one probably two players to assaults um, the French players get to play on and the refs don't even get punished the, the whole system seems to be broken essentially well you could just about see maybe how pepper the referee missed the incident even though everybody said he literally had to jump over sexton after sexton Meister hit him yeah. yeah he also had an extremely good view as did every other official of the the tackle on dave carney i, I don't think he could have missed the sexton incident no there, there literally uh, was either no of way. them yeah yeah and then so you're going okay it's heat of battle referees make mistakes and then you assume the siding commissioner and the relevant authorities will sort it out and then for uh, Guiram Garado's hit and Dave Carney wasn't even cited and then Maestri got no punishment whatsoever it's um, it's baffling it's like amazing it really when, yeah, when you're watching it you're thinking you have this sense of outrage and you're thinking well okay that players will get cited afterwards and they'll get punished you know, Pape did at least get whatever ban he got for kneeing Jamie Heasab in the back but it's of no consolation when you're watching uh, although then it sort of is on Monday, it's kind of a small bit of consolation when somebody gets banned for eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for, for fun. And, and when it doesn't, it, when it doesn't happen, it's also referees don't get punished for 
failing, this isn't the thrust of Neil Francis' piece in the Indo, for failing to ensure the safety of the players or to do their utmost to ensure the safety of the players. And he actually, Francis is speculating now that there could be legal ramifications down the line that eventually players get injured and don't, don't accept the fact that Oh, it just happened on a sports field. That they're at, their welfare isn't being protected properly. Yeah, Francis made a really good point that rugby players are nervous before these big games for a whole lot of reasons. But a big part of it now is that they go out there knowing their health is at stake. And he's one really good line that he says, you put your faith and indeed your life in the hands of somebody else, trusting that they will uphold your faith. So rugby players do lots of things on a pitch where they expose the back of their neck, their spine, whatever it may be, to 20 stone men. So unless those 20 stone men feel like they're going to be punished for uh, stupid fouls and for transgressions off the ball and, and trying to intimidate other people. I mean, don't forget, before this France game, uh, Betty, uh, Eddie Benaroos was talking about how they're going to target Sexton. So this was even before the game happened. Then it actually happens in the game. Then the ref has a chance during the game to punish it. Then the authorities have a chance after the game to punish it. None of these things happen. It's, it says a horrible lot of things about the game of rugby. Ken? I, f- I find it a bit weird that, like, apparently it's okay to talk about how you're going to, you know, do an opponent. Bizarre. Like, yeah. Utterly bizarre. Yeah, and they you did the same to, last year as well. You wouldn't be allowed to sort of talk, a, you know, about a referee before a game. You know what I mean? You, those, they, you know, to, to kind of... Well, they talk about refs before games as well, rugby coaches. I, I, you know, th- I just hope this, they do... A strong plant, referee. Yeah, they do plant the strong referee line from time to time. In mm. a slightly different manner, they might talk about a specific thing in rugby. It's different from football, maybe, in that... Say Ireland are playing Wales, for example, they might mention that throw in a line about Wales mm, scrummaging at an angle and just just something that the ref will. But I know this this strong referee will keep an eye on that. It yeah. happens from time to time. I mean, I guess the thing is that you can legally hurt somebody in rugby. You know, you could you could get someone's you know have someone stretched off after you're hitting them legally. Yeah, that's that's the difference. Actually, right? that's a large part part of the Annie McGeady piece that I referenced. He talks about late tackles. Uh, he, what people mean are hits you know what, they're not talking about actually trying to get a ball or anything like that they're talking about delaying it just to the point that a ball is close enough to the vicinity that it can be deemed possibly yeah. as legal but all they want to do is actually hit the person yeah well if you think about a rugby game there's a hundred hits or whatever there might be and players survive the vast majority of those the ones generally they don't survive are the ones where they can't prepare their own body I talked there before about people say exposing the back of their neck when they're hunkered over a rook um, or if they're at the side of a rook and they their back turned to somebody and somebody puts their shoulder through their spine. Um, but another of those is uh, an out half or centre is literally just past the ball, their body relaxes, their soul and total focus has to be on getting that ball away as quickly as possible. And then they just it's the inertia and the force comes from that. All the power and all the control is in the hands of the defender, the man making the tackle. Um, and that that, isn't, that should be defended to the hilt. All the, the bias should be towards... Uh, from the referee should be towards the guy who's just passed the ball as opposed to with the, the tackler, the guy who's trying to uh, harm the other player. Yeah, all right. Worrying stuff. I think I'm officially podcasted out now. Ready to finish this podcast? Is that okay? That's The podcast enough, clock huh? is wound down to zero here. Ah, there'll be another one along in a there minute. There'll be another podcast. There always There's loads of them. There's loads of them out there. Uh, thanks, Simon. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. And thank you, Simon. Thank, thank you, Simon. Yep. Thanks very much for listening. Talk to you soon. What's you, what are you saying? <laughs>
I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. We can't teach that. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.